2 of Zechariah. I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem to see what is its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to, the, escape to Zion, who, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, and for, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. And I will dwell in the midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent. All flesh before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Thank you, Lucy. Uh, would you pray with me? Uh, Father, you are a God of restoration. You desire to not only restore our lives back to a place of spiritual health, but you desire to restore us into relationship with you and to be restored back into your family. And for this, we are grateful. Uh, since you are all-powerful and almighty, help us to take courage knowing that as our ultimate protector through Christ, you promise to take care of us and protect us from those forces that desire to bring us down and do us harm. Lord God, bring us today to a place of silence before you, submissive silence. Help us to, to experience silent reflection, maybe today, maybe this week, just as an ongoing discipline to just be quiet before you, mindful of your greatness, your power, your, your holiness, and your love. Help me in this moment, Holy Spirit, to speak your words, not mine, for your glory and credit, credit alone. More of you, less of us in this moment. More of Christ less of me. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Well, as you probably know from the video intro there, we are continuing our new uh, sermon series going through the book of Zechariah. And this book is all about it gets better. It's filled with all kinds of hope. And, you know, sometimes preaching from an Old Testament book of the Bible can be tricky. You know, it, we often assume it must be the Old Testament is just full of judgment and full of God's discipline and just full of negativity. 
And when it comes more specifically to a minor prophet of the Old Testament, you might especially assume it's just filled with like ultra amounts of negativity and judgment and God's discipline. Yes, there is seen, the Lord's discipline is in this book of the Bible, but yet you see in this book the Lord pouring down all kinds of grace and love and blessing and, and prosperity on God's people, rescuing them. And it's, it's a wonderful thing to behold. You know, the, the amazing thing is, is that for us today, we are God's people. He does the very same thing for us as well. Yes, He disciplines us, but yet He also saves us. He also rescues us. He also restores us. You know, one of if you look at what God's people were going through in and around 500 B.C., the time of Zechariah, uh, they were just uh, sent home by King Cyrus of Persia. He sent home the, the captives of Israel, the Jews, back to their homeland. It was a wonderful thing. But after a few years, they discovered trying to rebuild their nation from scratch was a very difficult task uh, to do. It didn't go as well or easily as they were hoping for or assuming it might go. And so God's people were dogged by discouragement. Times were tough. Nothing was going right. Life was hard. And worst of all, they basically blamed God for not giving them a better life. Like, come on, God, cut us some slack here. Do better next time. And basically, they chose to then, because God, they thought, was not delivering them like they thought he might or he should, they chose to stop paying attention to God, they stopped listening to God, they stopped gathering it to worship God, and they stopped praying. Things were bad, man. Things were bad. They gave up on God in many respects. And you see, that's the dark power of discouragement. Have you felt that? Have you ever seen how discouragement can, can skew reality? Discouragement can stop you from growing, moving forward. Um, worst of all, discouragement, if you let it, it can cause you to drift and drift and drift further and further away from God and from His church and from anything to do with Christ. It's, it's pretty dark. It's pretty dangerous stuff. You know, I think our church over the last few years, Mercy Hill Church, we have been dogged by discouragement. We have. And it's been rough. You know, there's been some transitions. Church is like a parade. you got people coming, and then you got people going, and it's tough to build a church with that transitional reality. We've seen... Uh, cancer affects several families, and my own family, and, and many of your families as well. Um, we've seen spiritual drift because of how hard it's been, and people drifting, and, and just kind of floating away into further further away from Christ, and it's just been very discouraging. And I believe the only way we're going to break out of this sort of spiritual funk that we are in is to look to the Lord for help, to hear His voice speaking to us through Scripture, and to really just not give up. Never give up, never lose hope. And to hear him speaking to us that in Christ, it gets better. It gets better. And it will get better with him. All right. In connection with our passage that Lucy read for us so well and so skillfully, she, she rehearses this thing. It is clear. She did very, very well. I was very impressed. Uh, well, in terms of that passage, the, the theme is really uh, one word, restored. Restored. You know, the, the process of uh, restoration is one of my favorite things in the world. I love restoration that, in that process. I'm a car guy or pretend to be. Uh, I like to try, try being the key word, to fix up old cars. Basically, I drive a beater, okay, because I'm cheap. And I like to drive beaters because you can restore these things. 
from a, a pile of something to something that's actually kind of nice. And here is one example. This is a few years ago. I had a 1975 Plymouth Valiant. This is the Craigslist posting. It had this gray primer all over it. The steering was all out of whack. It wasn't running quite right. And I love to take a car from a state of ill health and ugliness and, you know, it's not working as it should into a lean, mean, beautiful uh, machine as we have on the right. And that's my other Craigslist posting for selling it. Why did I sell that car? I love that car. I still love it too much. It's obviously an idol. I think God was getting it out of my life for a purpose, loving it too much. Anyhow, another area of restoration is that of rescue dogs and rescue cats. Some of you in the room, I think, have a rescue dog or a rescue cat. What did you do? You rescued this animal from an, an abusive home, and sadly that pet was very mistreated. It wasn't fed enough. It was in ill health. But thanks to you and all that love that you showered and are still showering upon this little beast of a little creature, you adopted it, you brought it into your home, and now this beast is essentially restored or undergoing restoration. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. But more than anything, what I love is to see human beings restored. I don't know why I'm pointing at Bill. Uh, but anyhow, to see Bill being restored. We're all being restored if we're a Christian, but anyhow. <laughs> but I love to see people being restored. That's the greatest restoration in my mind, where you know, in one moment, you're addicted to something, be it alcohol, you're addicted to, to drugs, you're addicted to, to pornography, you're addicted to food, but thanks to Jesus, you are restored from being a pile of, of just a mess of a person to something that is now healthy and changed and restored. Or marriage, you know, marriages can be restored to, to where they were rough and just doing, going nowhere fast to then with Christ's help in many cases undergoing and experiencing change. And now it's better and now it's stronger than ever before. As it turns out, when it comes to our God, the God of the Bible, um, He's a second chance kind of God. In fact, I would label God as a third or fourth or fifth chance kind of God. He's a God that doesn't give up on us despite our failures. And it's a wonderful thing. I love that about God. I love how patient He is with us, how, how gracious and merciful and gentle He is with us. He's a second chance kind of God. And if there's one word to describe all that God does for His people and for all creation is restoration. Being restored back to spiritual health, back to reality, back to truth, back to wellness, and most importantly, being restored back into a, re a love relationship with God, back into His family, back into His church family. And so if you're here and you, you, are, you realize, I need restoration, man. I'm a piece of work. Times are tough. Truth is skewed. Reality is skewed. I need to get back to what's real. And I need clarity. Well, you came to the right place. Because the Christian message is all about restoration. Restoration is accessible for you today with Christ. All right, let's move on before I start preaching ahead of me myself. Anyhow, the first point, there's three points that I have tr tried to uh, find in this passage, and they are powerful. And the first point out of the three is only four words. Many will be restored. Firstly, many will be brought back into uh, the city of God to be restored by God and to God. It's a wonderful image. And let me set this up by talking about flying. I am not a person who enjoys flying, okay? I don't like flying in planes like these cylinders, 30,000 feet. 
you know, it's all metal, you're 30,000 feet above the earth, and somehow miraculously, most times, not all the time, but most times it lands successfully. I don't know, it just, the, it just I just don't like the concept. And uh, sitting in a closed space where people are coughing and changing their socks like planes and trains and automobiles, flinging their socks around like that, it's not a happy experience, okay? But anyhow, I try to avoid it, but when I do fly, I have flown to places like Toronto, I have flown to Dallas, Texas, and that was a long flight. Actually, Orlando was even longer. That was rough. But anyhow, once you fly to your city and then you fly back, many of you experienced this. Maybe you flew in from the Philippines. There's a few people from the Philippines here. And you fly back into uh, Vancouver at night. What do you see if it's a clear night? You see the city lights. And as that plane is coming towards YVR Airport, you look out your window. All you can see are lights. And then you, you look out the other side of the plane, out the other windows. All you can see are lights. In fact, you look out all the windows in the plane on the other side. All you can see are lights. And you realize how big and vast Metro Vancouver is. Two and a half million people, if not more, live in a very relatively small piece of real estate. And you are just sort of captivated by how big Metro Vancouver there's a lot of people here. There's a lot of people crammed into this place. And more every day, by the way. Surrey is one of the fastest growing cities, is the fastest growing city in BC. Well, it's that same sense of bigness and, and being captivated by how large something is and how many people are there that we see in this passage. God is restoring um, people to his city and to himself. And I hope that you'll you'll sense that same sort of bigness and wow, that's so big, and his plan is so so massive, um, his restoration plan for humanity. So here's where we get this glimpse of the bigness of God's ultimate plan. This is the third vision that God gives to Zechariah. Zechariah is a prophet of God, sent by God, commissioned by God, to foretell God's message to God's people. And this third vision that we see from Zechariah in chapter 2 here is uh, this vision. What does Zechariah see in this third vision? He sees a guy with a measuring line in his hand. And you see, just like tradespeople, you might work in the trades in construction or in some sort of job where you need measuring tape, you need measuring, they have lasers now to measure stuff, which is incredible. Um, you might be a city planner, you might be a tradesperson, whatever. Just like you need measuring tape and measuring lasers, well, back in the day, ancient people needed sort of their own version of measuring tape, which was measuring ropes and measuring strings and, and, and that sort of thing. And so Zechariah sees this trades guy, or the city planner, if you will. We don't know what his job is specifically. It's just to measure stuff. And his job is to measure how wide and how long uh, Jerusalem is to figure out where probably to put the city walls. Where, where are we going to put the city walls around this great city? Here's what you need to know, so bear with me. In ancient times, uh, larger cities required city walls. Why? we got to keep the wild animals out of our city so that the, the citizens can be protected. we got to keep crime out of our city. I think there's a certain uh, world leader who's trying to keep crime out of his country with a wall, okay? But this was what they needed to keep crime out of their city. I won't go there, believe me. It's not good. Um, you know, we got, we got to keep we got to keep our people safe with these walls. And just so you know, these ancient walls were not small walls. These walls could be anywhere from 10 to 30 feet high. Here's the Wailing Wall, by the way, the ancient wall of, of the city of Jerusalem itself. And there it is in modern times today. That's, that's where people pray. Um, and these could be anywhere from 10 to 30 feet tall, if not higher. 
and in some cases be like three feet thick to 20 feet thick. These were massive, massive. It was unthinkable for you to try to have a flourishing ancient city without walls. You needed the walls. And yet, what do the angels in Zechariah's vision in chapter 2 say to the young man? Remember, he's measuring out Jerusalem so that they can figure out where to put the walls probably. Well, the angels basically say, would you stop measuring the city, okay? you got better stuff to do with your time. We don't need it. We don't need walls. Jerusalem will not need walls. You know why? Because it's going to be so big that mere walls will never be able to adequately contain the city of Jerusalem, the city of God. Let me explain. I want to press the pause button. Okay, bear with me. There's a little bit of uh, technical stuff here, uh, Bible technical stuff, theological stuff that's important for you to know to understand Bible prophecy. There's two aspects to most prophecies in the Bible, and these two aspects are uh, as follows. Partial fulfillment and total fulfillment. All right, Partial and total fulfillment of prophecy. In other words, very often prophecies of God that we see in the Bible, they have a nearer-term aspect and a longer-term aspect. Okay, Something's going to happen in this prophecy fairly soon or within a, a decade or a couple of centuries uh, or something else. There's also another aspect to it. Something's going to happen further down the line, perhaps millennia away. You know, thousands of years away. Is that clear as mud? You got that? Partial and total fulfillment of prophecy. My point is, when Zechariah sees this vision of this guy measuring Jerusalem, the short-term fulfillment of that prophecy, it's, it, it already happened within a few years, decades, centuries after this prophecy, in and around 500 B.C. to the time of Jesus. Well, in what we saw during that time period, all kinds of displaced Jews from Babylon and, and Assyria and Egypt from all over surrounding Judea, well, what do they do? They came back home. They came back to Jerusalem to be restored to their nation, to their temple, back into a relationship with God, and this, this actually happened. It was a wonderful thing. But the, the other total fulfillment aspect of this prophecy is for us today. It's our future. We are looking at and hearing about the future kingdom of God, the future city of God, God, in this moment, is preparing the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem that will come from out of heaven down, and it's coming for all the nations of the earth who have trusted in and have made Jesus Christ their king. All nations, not just the Jews, but for all nations of the earth. That's how big God's plan is. So why would God invite so many people to be restored back to the new Jerusalem, the ultimate city of God, the heavenly city, city of God? Well, we see this in verse 11. I find this personally captivating and, and beautiful in every way. Here's what it says. And many nations shall join themselves. This is why. Join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst. He's living in the city. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. So why, why would we want to come to God's city? It's so that you can, can join yourself to the Lord so that we can join ourselves to, to God. He will be our God. We will be His people. We will li live in a, an experience and enjoy this covenant relationship of love forever. God's going to be in this city. He's going to live there. And we will live there with Him. And we'll finally, ultimately be restored back to 
the God who made us, the God who loves us more than any other, the God who alone can, can restore us, change us, transform us from the inside out by the work of His Holy Spirit in us, shaping us into the image of Jesus. You know, sometimes I forget. I forget a lot. The, more, the older I'm getting, the more I'm forgetting. It's not good, but we sometimes forget how big and how vast the rescue mission of God is, how massive and far-reaching His kingdom reach is and, and will be. I want you to, to think about this. You know, today in the world, uh, they estimate that there's in and around 3 billion Christians out of, I think, 7.7. Are we up to 7.8 now? I don't know how many people there are in the world. But they estimate about 3 billion out of the 7 billion are Christians. Now, not every Christian out of the, out of the 3 billion are a true Christian. Okay, so let's do some mathematics. This is tough for me, but anyway, I'll try to do this. The mathematics is as follows. Let's just... Let's, let's maybe say that a, a billion out of the three billion are not true Christians. I don't know. Let's just say two billion Christians, okay? Well, now add to that all of the Christians and all the people of God who have ever lived before this time, right from the very beginning. Then, okay, it's 2019, October. And then we have future Christians who are coming into the family of God in the coming generations. We don't know how many more people that will include. I mean... Are you getting an idea of we are talking probably billions and billions and billions of people. This, this is how many people will live in this new city of Jerusalem that God is making for us. This is so big you can't build walls around it. But you know, more than the, the sheer numbers and the sheer bigness uh, of how big God's family is for those who place their trust in Christ, are, are you getting... There's something else that's very big here, okay? There's a lot of people, yes. There's something else very big. You know what that very big thing is? We are talking about the heart of God, how big His heart is, how deeply He desires you, me, every individual from the beginning to the very end. He desires everybody to be restored back into His city, back into His family, and then to undergo restoration within by the Holy Spirit. And so I just... I'm going to leave this point as follows. You ready for the landing of the plane for this point? The, po the point is, Christian, if you're here as a Christian, be encouraged as you see the, the sheer size of God's plan, the sheer size of God's heart for us and for you. You mean that much to Him that He's preparing a place for you in this moment. It gets better. It gets a lot better. And I'm just speaking now to you if you're not yet a Christian. My message to you is, don't miss out on all that God is offering you. Don't miss out on what God is doing for the human race. Don't miss out on becoming a new citizen of this new Jerusalem. Don't miss out on the opportunity to be restored by God and back to God in relationship and then being restored by His Holy Spirit working in you, molding you and shaping you into the image of Jesus. He, he designed for you to be in a relationship with Him, don't miss out. So how do you respond to Christ? Christ demands that if you want in on His kingdom, if you want in on this city, He demands you to respond to Him. And He's inviting you to repent of your sins, turn away from you being boss to now Christ being boss. He demands that you trust in His cross, that His cross uh, earned salvation for you, paid for your sins in full. 
He demands and commands that you be baptized, which is just a symbol of your sins being washed away by your faith in Christ. And that's how you become a Christian. That's how you become a citizen of this vast, restored city of love that we have in our future. Let's move on to the second thing that we see in this chapter. The second thing I want to share with you is that the restored will be protected. Something about those T's and P's sometimes have a little pop to them. So anyway, some of you, I'll say it up here, will be protected. Sorry, the restored will be protected. The restored will be protected. I was going to say, some of you have alarm system and security systems in your home. That might be you. Uh, there's some amazing technology that's available for relatively uh, inexpensive prices these days, and it can be built in. Uh, it's wonderful, and you can use your phone and all that, that kind of thing. So you have an alarm system, you have a security system in your home, so that if anyone breaks into your house uh, and they desire, they're going to steal your precious. Whatever your precious happens, it can be your ring. It can be a Lord of the Rings ring is your precious uh, a remake of that. I don't know. It could be your tablet. A lot of you love your tablets. A lot of you love your smartphones. A lot of you love your, your uh, laptops. Whatever your precious is, as long as your security system is functional and working, um, if someone breaks into your house, the alarm's going to go off and hopefully scare off the intruder and call the security company. Okay, that's why you have a security system. Well, you know, personally, speaking of myself, because, you know, I'm cheap, uh, the extent of my security system uh, are a couple of pieces of plastic pipe, PCV pipe, I think they are. And uh, we use these two pieces of plastic PCV pipe uh, to wedge closed our sliding door in the back part of our house and also our rear window. And interestingly, about two, three years ago, our next door neighbor, right next to us, her home got broke into. And the scary part was uh, she was there. She was in the home while her home was being broke into. And how did that happen? Well, the guy just opened the sliding door. I don't know if she locked it. You can sometimes just pull them open, and that's how it happened. And uh, amazingly, he got, he got some of her stuff by the time that she figured out what was going on. Anyhow, just a little alarming. Had she had that PCV pipe there, wouldn't have had a problem. I think it's there now. Anyhow, my point is, we all need home protection. I'm not trying to sell you anything, by the way. But we all require for our homes some sort of security system. Why? We want to keep our kids safe at night. We want to keep ourselves safe at night. Maybe your security system is a baseball bat behind your bedroom door, or it's a big dog, whatever it happens to be. Maybe, maybe it's your karate. I don't know what you got. In terms of, my point is, in terms of our ultimate home, in the new city of God, we also will enjoy protection and security, the ultimate security. Uh, thankfully, it will be very, very good. Look at verse 5. The Lord says this to us today. And I will be to her, Jerusalem, a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord. And I will be the glory in her midst. Remember that uh, theological discussion I tried to share with you about partial and total fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Uh, well, we see it again here. And part of what God was using Zechariah to do in Zechariah's day, 500 B.C., uh, we want, God wanted to light a fire under his people and to wake them up again. Um, these are the former Babylonian captives. They were, they were in captivity for 70 years in Babylon. Then God graciously allowed them to return. And, but the problem is they lost their motivation. They got dogged by discouragement. And now they were doing nothing. They were forgetting about God, not paying attention to him, not praying as they should, not worshiping as they should. And God was like, 
Zechariah, you got to light a fire under their butts to wake them up and get them back to work again. Get them back into restoring Jerusalem. Well, sure enough, as the ancient Hebrews got back to work, what did God do as they got back to work? Building the temple, rebuilding the walls. Well, God ensured that during this construction process, they were kept safe and secure. So he was there protecting them. This was the partial fulfillment of that prophecy. Now, what is the future total fulfillment of verse 5? Well, God seems to be saying, yeah, the new Jerusalem is going to be so big, possibly billions of people, it's going to be so big, trying to build a wall around the city is impossible. So that's how many people are, are going to be a part of the family of God. However, God says, having no walls does not mean, and I paraphrase loosely, does not mean that you will not be safe. You see, I myself, God is saying to us, I will be a wall of fire around Jerusalem, around you. You guys will be utterly, completely, totally safe with me. And so there's no better security system for you, for his people, than God himself. He possesses unlimited power and knowledge and strength. There's no one better to be on side with than God. But here's the thing. How does knowing that God will be our ultimate security system, how does that make a difference in our practical, daily, 21st century lives today? Well, here's how. You know, as I was thinking about this and, and, and dwelling on it, I was reminded of this passage in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verses 5 and 6, and here's what it says. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? In other words, in times of financial insecurity, in times where you are threatened by other people in some way, in times where you are undergoing what appears to be intense sinful temptation because of Satan trying to bring it down, what must we say in the middle of this challenge? And this threat, here's what we say. We say, the Lord is my helper. The Lord is my protector. The Lord is my ultimate security. And as a result, I will not fear. Because really, what can man do to me? What can man do to my soul? Yes, we can be killed, but our souls cannot. What can man do to me? Look at the future secure city that God has promised. For me. So here's my point. Just, just being reminded of God's promises and promised future security and protection, and then reminding yourself of these promises as you pray day in and day out, thank God for these promises, it helps you grow in this sort of this quiet confidence. It, it, it puts steel in your spiritual spine. You find yourself quoting MC Hammer all the time when you sing to yourself, you can't touch this, you can't touch this, you can't touch this. It's a terrible joke, but you get the idea. You get the idea? You've got to grow in your confidence in the Lord. He is for you. He's not against you. He's your dad, your ultimate dad. You've got nothing to worry about. Rest in his sure promises for you. Trust that Jesus, he will watch over you, watch over your soul, and ensure that you will be protected. What can man do to you? What can anybody do to you? It's like you're invincible. Isn't that amazing? Let's move on. A final thing I want us to look at in this passage is number three in your notes. The restored will be silent. 
before the Lord. The restored will be silent before the Lord. That's on purpose, just so you know. You see how powerful a pregnant pause can be? Silence is a powerful thing. And yes, silence in a sermon could indicate he's lost his way. He doesn't know where he's at in his notes, which was a very common thing for me. You know, he's incompetent, all the rest. But my point is, <laughs> there's, something, there's something very purposeful and meaningful and powerful about silence and what it communicates before God. Let's try to sort this out. Verse 11, uh, sorry, verse 13, it says, Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for He has roused Himself from His holy dwelling. And what this means is, when the Lord starts to rouse Himself and become particularly active in human history, like He was restoring Israel's fortunes in 500 B.C., in and around that time, and also like He is currently preparing in this moment, working on constructing the new heavens and the new earth, and then inviting all nations to be a part of His family through Jesus and faith in Him. Well, when God starts rousing Himself like this and moving around, man, what is the appropriate response by all flesh? By the way, that's probably not just humans and people. That's also all animals and all creatures uh, on the earth. What should the response be from all flesh and all the animal kingdom when we see God on the move? The right response is silence. Saying nothing. In other words, less talk, more listening. Less jammering, more hearing. When we see God on the move, we see the most powerful, the most wise, the most helpful, the most loving, the most holy. That when we see the greatest person in the universe doing stuff, when we see the greatest person in the universe doing stuff, let us show a posture of silent respect and, and reverence and worship and submission. This kind of reminds me of what happened what I realize now about the school system in 2019, it's different than the 1980s when I went to school, okay? And, you know, back in the 1980s, if the school principal sort of marched into your classroom unannounced, you were afraid. You were very, very afraid. Um, you know, they had things like straps back then. I mean, unthinkable today in, in <laughs> public education. But he would come in unannounced, march into your room, maybe with a stern look on his face, and the response from the teacher, the response from the students was what? Silence. Absolute silence. There's a sense of fear. There's a sense, though, of reverence and respect. Because, you know, the principal, his or her job is to be in charge of the school, right? And so, silence. And so it is with, with God, but much more. Thankfully, with God, he's loving. Sometimes principals... We're loving, but He is the most loving person. Here's my point. Do you view God? I want you to think about this. I want you to examine yourself in this moment. Think about yourself. When it comes to viewing God and how you view God and how you picture God in your mind in this moment, is He more to you like a personal genie than Lord and boss? 
Do you treat God maybe as someone, you know, he's there to sort of cater to my own needs and my own agenda and my own plans versus someone who you're catering your plans, you're catering your agenda, your dreams to, to fit under his dream, his agenda, his plan for humanity. You see the difference? Do you view God as someone who, man, he needs to get with the times and sort of modernize his views and, and just shape up or ship out kind of thing? Or are you more like, no, I, I'm, I'm changing my views to what God says in Scripture. Because what he says, that's just the way it is, man. He's God. So I don't know what your view is on God. But I'm hoping if, if your view of God is, is skewed and if you, you've been influenced by culture to view God in a different way, it's time for silence. It's time to talk less and listen more. It's time to reverently just read the Bible. Try to understand not just the easy-to-understand parts, but also try to understand the hard-to-understand parts. And then submit to it, even though you don't fully understand what he's saying there. You see what I'm saying? So it means treating God, treating God more like a god than a genie or an out-of-touch grandparent. He loves you. The good news, he loves you. He loves you more than any other. Loves you. He desires for, for you and for more people to join his family, to become his child, to, to, to become a citizen of the new Jerusalem through faith in Christ. He wants what's best for you. He is for you, not against you. And he has given you. Every time I come up here to, to try to preach, and it's feeble, I, I get it. But every time I'm up here trying to unpack and understand and explain what God is saying to his people in the Bible, I am blown away at how good we've got it, how good he is to us, and we deserve none of it. So he's given us so much. He's given us the new city of Jerusalem, the, this new hope, ultimate protection there. And yes, yes to all these wonderful things about God, we, we love and we enjoy, we, we appreciate. But remember, he's, he's still God. He's calling the shots. No one higher or greater than him. No one else deserving of your love, of your loyalty, of your time, of your allegiance than the God of the universe. So there's this posture of silent submission so be silent all flesh be silent all flesh before the lord for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling and he's roused himself from his holy dwelling why to save us and to restore us and to bring us back to him would you pray with me God, again, just amazed at how good you are to us, how generous you are to us, and how undeserving I am, how undeserving we all are. We are grateful. Uh, we are grateful for your son who his finished work on the cross allows us entry into your adopted family, into uh, to become a citizen of the new city of Jerusalem. We're so grateful. I pray, Lord, if someone who is outside of Christianity at this moment in time, that they would consider why would I want to miss out on all that God has for me in Christ? That they would take the next step of faith, of repentance, of baptism towards you, Lord Jesus. Uh, but I pray that we would be changed by this message today and this coming week, that we would not forget what we are hearing from your voice uh, today, that it would actually impact how we live, that we would live rather not in fear of circumstances, but yes, fear of you, reverence towards you, submission towards you. Uh, just change us. 
to, to live as your people destined to be ultimately protected by you in your city. Lord, uh, we come together to remember the cross and uh, we will enjoy this memorial meal uh, with you to help us to take a moment to remember the cross, to thank you for it, and to examine ourselves in light of it. Through Christ we pray. Amen.